Hello, my name's Jane Dacre. Welcome to this Medical Women Talking podcast. Medical Women Talking is a series of recordings of informal interviews with a range of women doctors from different specialties and backgrounds who've had successful careers in medicine. I'm a proud physician and have had the privilege of a very fulfilling career. As I get older and have reflected on my own journey, I've become increasingly passionate about helping other women to achieve their potential in medicine. Combining life and a career can be challenging, and it sometimes feels extremely difficult to keep going. The women in these conversations have all found a way to thrive and have achieved great things. I hope that you'll be inspired by their stories. The podcasts are available to download in any order so that you can listen and be inspired whilst doing other things. Happy listening. Today I'm talking to Dr. Susie Lishman. She's a pioneering histopathologist and has been a female president of the College of Pathology. She has a number of outside interests and will be an inspiration to listen to. So Susie, can we start by talking about uh, your career? So do you want to give us a summary of your career journey, which includes when did you decide to become a doctor and take us from there? So I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, I come from a medical family and I just always thought that's what I wanted to do, even before I really understood what it meant to be a doctor. Um, but I always liked health and was very interested in the body. And I would, you know, I was the three year old wrapping my grandmother in bandages. And, um, um, so I, I always knew that's what I wanted to do. I had a, a big think at sort of 14 when I was choosing O-levels um, and 16. Was there anything else I might want to do? I thought about law. The only other thing I really ever considered doing seriously was art history. Always been really interested in art and the history of how art, how and why art is produced. Um, my grandfather used to take us on holidays to Italy and I got to learn about you know, the Renaissance and Romans and I loved all that sort of thing. Um, so art history was really the only other thing that I considered. But having decided that I'd probably have a better quality of life if I was a doctor with a, an interest in art history than the other way around, um, I decided to do medicine. I went to a mixture of schools, but my last six years, my secondary education was all in a, a, a comprehensive school, state school. And I went from there to Girton College, Cambridge, did three years there and then did my clinical at the London Hospital. Did my house jobs and then was fortunate enough to get onto a seamless training programme at UCL which in those days was quite unusual. You used to have to apply for your SHO job and then a registrar. I got a six-year training programme. And so I did my histopathology at UCL and the Whittington and then went straight off into my first and only consultant job, uh, first working at Hinchingbrook Hospital in Huntingdon and then moving after seven years to Peterborough City Hospital. And the two have since merged to form a single trust. So essentially, I've been 23 years now working for what's now called Northwest Anglia Foundation Trust. So it sounds like I haven't actually done many different things, but I've had different phases um, to my career. And that's really reflected some of the things I do outside my main job as a a full-time diagnostic histopathologist, as, as you alluded to. Can so I, I've... Can I, sorry, can I, can I just um, interrupt you to ask you how you chose pathology? 
I, when I was a medical student, I enjoyed almost everything I did. Um, considered doing obstetrics at one point. I loved delivering babies. I realised pretty quickly that wasn't what you did really as an obstetrician. It wasn't all the happy moments of delivering babies. Um, I, I liked almost everything, and so I had, a, and I intentionally kept a really open mind about what I might do. And it was really during my house jobs when I was doing surgery. And I could see that some of the, the more senior trainees in surgery were studying for their exams. And they talked a lot about pathology and the relevance of it. Uh, and I think I just always liked, always being curious about how things work. And I liked understanding the sort of cellular and molecular mechanism for disease. And I, I, I think I just, I just wanted to understand more about why diseases happened and why they responded to treatments or surgery in the way that they did. So it's really curiosity. And so I just started looking into it. I went to see a post-mortem on one of my patients who died. I went to the lab to look at the histology from a specimen that had been removed from one of my patients and just realised how relevant it was to actually caring for patients and how interesting it was to understand what was happen happening down the microscope and how that related to it. And so I started looking around. I actually had a gap between finishing my year of house jobs and starting uh, pathology training of about four months or so um, and during that time I, I applied for jobs and was fortunate enough to get the one at, at UCL. I think in in retrospect I, I really didn't quite know what a job as a histopathologist involved at that stage. Um, obviously I'd gone and had a look around labs and I'd spoken to people who were doing it but um, it's not something you really have exposure to. I found the first six months really quite tough, it's so very different from anything else I'd ever done. And then something just clicked and I have never looked back and never regretted it for a second. I, I always say if you put my personality type uh, into a computer, um, it would come out and say that I should be, I was born to be a histopathologist. Lucky, a lucky break. Yeah, uh, I suppose that some some would say, I mean, in every career, there are highs and lows. Uh, how about you? Tell us about some of your highs and some of your lows. Um, there have been many, many more highs than there have lows. You know, I think I've really, I've been very fortunate that I haven't come across very many barriers along the way. Um, lows, I suppose doing doing house jobs with very little sleep and, you know, it was the days when you, you know, were doing 120 hour weeks and you never went home and didn't see my family. I found that really, really hard. And I couldn't imagine how I could keep that up for another 30 or 40 years. And of course, at that stage, I got very little training. You were just sort of running around trying to keep things going. And I, I worry about today's junior doctors with the pressures at the moment that training falls by the wayside when you're so busy actually delivering care. But um, I found that tough. Um, as a pathologist, I failed my FRT path exam part one. Um, I just took it too early. I, um, I'd been so used to being good at exams throughout my, you know, my school days and um, not really struggling with them. And I think I didn't quite appreciate that I hadn't got, I'd read lots of books and lots of papers and I just hadn't quite got the clinical experience as, as a diagnostic pathologist. Um, so that, that was a low and pretty devastating. You know, I'd gone into pathology, I thought I was doing quite well at it and then I failed the first part of the exam. But you know, I did what you have to do, picked myself up, took it again six months later, passed it and have never so far failed anything since. So uh, um, my the prof in my department said, you know, it was it was a good thing. 
good thing taught me a bit of humility and it hasn't hasn't held me back but at the time that felt pretty devastating being president of the college although it was you know the most fantastic thing I ever I've ever done in my career really um really had its low points it's quite tough at times um and trying to juggle the meeting the needs and representing your members while trying to influence and inform politicians and policymakers and trying to get that balance right can be tr- quite tough and you can't please everybody all the time and that that's quite difficult and probably the hardest thing for me was balancing presidential life college life work life because i still had my consultant job um and you know had work to do and home life and that was really tough and i think unfortunately it was my home life that that suffered a bit my poor husband uh, missed out and bore the brunt of it but getting that balance right was was a real struggle but you know as lows go uh, i can't really complain about those and and you know as you find careers things change and they go up and down and our careers are long um and you get through the tough bits and then there's some highs the highs there's the landmark days where I can sort of pinpoint that day that marked a, a change in the direction of my life without which it would have been quite different. You know, getting into Cambridge, you know, I remember getting the letter that said I got a place at Cambridge and that undoubtedly, uh, going to Girton, you know, undoubtedly changed the direction my life took. Getting onto that UCL histopathology training scheme, uh, you know, if, they ha- if it didn't happen to have had that scheme there, I could have done one year there and then gone somewhere else. Um, and I could have ended up somewhere, who knows where. Um, but that that gave me some security. And six years, I didn't go very far. The Whittington was the furthest I went on that scheme. So I wasn't rotating around the country. I was very fortunate with that. Um, getting my consultant job. Obviously, I've been there 23 years now. That's defined how my, the later part of my career um, has evolved. Being elected president of the college, clearly, uh, has had a big, big impact and then probably the final other day, part of my wedding day, uh, that's been really important, was getting my CBE from Prince Charles, now the King. Um, and that was a wonderful day. So they're, they're the really big days of my life. But I think the real highlights, the highs of my career have been the things where I've been able to make a difference. Supporting trainees and mentees, uh, seeing them succeed. It's interesting now, I've sort of moved on towards spending a lot of my time outside pathology on medical examiners, but actually for a good decade or so, my thing was public engagement. I introduced National Pathology Week in 2010 and got pathologists around the country out of their labs and out to talk to the public about what they do. And it was going to be a one-off, but now it's an annual event. It's been happening now. Um, for for 12 years and we've now gone international so we have international pathology day and so we have pathologists from 42 countries doing the same thing so that's really one of the things that I've been proudest of um, during my career but yeah as you mentioned introducing this whole new specialty of medical examiners you know it's evolving to to be a, a separate specialty from everything else and being able to work through that develop training materials deliver the training work with people who are making the legislation about how that might go forward has been really fascinating and interesting. And really successful. So far. <laughs> Quite a battle though. Um, yes, but only only in the way that you expect it to be. You know, you don't expect to get your way all the time. And certainly in the NHS, you learn that things don't happen quickly. 
you know, there's an IT system that goes with this. This is not going to happen overnight. Um, so, and I think that's one of the things I learned along the way is around finding ways around things, finding compromises. So one of the, you know, I don't take full credit for this myself, but one of the things that was holding up implementation of medical examiners was the funding. And it was initially the government intended that families would pay in the same way that you pay for a cremation form. Um, you would pay £100 for the medical examiner to issue a certificate so that your loved one could be buried or cremated. And obviously this didn't go down very well um, with many communities, but the government was adamant that that was the way it had to be done. However, it was recognised that the, you could possibly get funding from other places. And so as an interim measure, before it became statutory, it was decided that cremation form money should be used to fund the system. And so medical examiners started to do the second part of cremation forms, and then that money would go to fund their job rather than going into their own pocket. Um, and so that was a, a huge compromise, but it was rolled out nationally uh, that that funded the medical examiner system. And that was starting to work and the pandemic came along and the Coronavirus Act easements got rid of that second part of the cremation form. So during the pandemic, it had to be funded centrally, which it was. And to my great joy, at the Medical Examiners Conference in May last year, the Department of Health announced that it would be permanently funded centrally, which is what we wanted in the first place. Um, so, you know, we could never have thought, you know, it was the pandemic that did that. So it's finding workarounds and, you know, looking at different ways of approaching things. And I think sticking at it. I've been working on medical examiners for over a decade, and there are people who were working on it long before me. I can't take the credit for starting this all up. I just picked up the baton at one stage. Um, so, you know, being persistent and carrying on and believing that it's the right thing to do. And it's likely to become statutory this year. And every single death in England and Wales will be reviewed by a medical examiner. And I just find it amazing that, you know, what we started discussing on a piece of paper, you know, 10 years ago is actually happening. Fantastic. You must it must make you feel very proud. So so what inspires you to do all of these things? A lot of people don't go into leadership positions in medicine. A lot of people find it all quite tough. What inspires you or drives you? Yeah, I mean, I like making a difference. I like to feel that I'm making things better uh, than they were. Um, you know, it's not entirely selfless. It makes life better for me, too. So uh, I like to improve things. And I think being a histopathologist, you just get a different view of the world than you might do in other aspects of medicine. And so I started to, you know, I worked with the coroner and I do post-mortem examinations. And then, you know, I'd explain the findings to the public. And I think people often say, oh, I wouldn't have thought you'd be a hist you don't look like a histopathologist to me, or sort of thing. And people have this idea of pathologists of sort of sad people with no, no people skills who are locked in the mortuary sort of thing from television. Um, and I think what I did was, was bring the, the love of communicating with people into pathology and try to merge the two. And so I love going out and talking to people. I go and talk to schools regularly um, about what pathology involves. I talk to the public, I do all these sorts of things. I've always worked hard. I'm quite focused uh, and I get things done. And as, as I'm sure many people who are watching this will know, if you do things well and you get them done, then people will come and ask you to do more things. Um, and so really a lot of what I've done and the sort of extracurricular things that I've taken on have come along by chance rather than me actively going looking for them. Um, and I've just seen it as an interesting opportunity 
um, and thought, oh, yeah, well, I'll give that a go. That sounds good. Have you got any role models who's who has perhaps inspired you to do these things? I mean, I think my first role model and many people's first role model is a mother. My mum was a nurse um, and was very keen on the importance of education and uh, good grammar. So um, <laughs> I always think of my mother when I can't remember if it's less or fewer or uh, <laughs> um, or how to spell things. She was really hot on English. So, yes, I mean, I think my mother was my, my first role model and she really brought me up to believe I could do anything that I, I set my heart to. And that to get there, I just have to work hard, um, which is, I think, uh, you know, uh, stood me in good stead. Um, role models within medicine. There are so many um, brilliant uh, role models. And although there have been some inspiring men, I have to say the majority of my role models are women. People like Professor Dame Carol Black. Um, Avril Mansfield, uh, Professor Mansfield in, in surgery, Dame Claire Marks, Parveen Kumar, you know, these amazing women. And it's not just that they've done fantastic things, which they clearly have. What's inspired me has been really their generosity to share that with people like me, you know, to actors, mentors, to be so encouraging and so open and friendly and helpful. Uh, and I've, I've found that really inspiring and and they do make you feel you know if I'll spend an hour chatting to Carol Black for example and I come out feeling I can do anything because you know, um, because you know having someone who believes in you and has done great things is um is good for the soul empowering empowering so you mentioned a, a little bit earlier how uh, you had some concerns about your family life when you were so busy by being president of, of, of the college. Do, do you want to to talk a little bit about how being a successful woman medical leader impacts on on family life? Yes, I mean I don't do everything I do in forty hours a week. Uh, so there's a limited number of hours in a week, and you have to divide your time up. Um, my husband recently described me as a workaholic, which you know probably would come as no surprise to other people. But actually, he'd never said that to me. <laughs> and I, I, it's hard because I do work hard. I do work every night and every weekend. And there are no hours to my working day. I, I go into the hospital and work 10 hours and then I'll come home and work in the evenings on something different. And I'll be reading papers for a meeting or writing a review or reviewing a case. Um, so I do all these different things. So it's difficult. And I do have to remind myself that, you know, I'm not the only one in this family and uh, I have to give some time to uh, working on relationships and, and just having fun. So we're, we're quite good at getting holidays in the diary and making sure that they are completely work free. Uh, the phone goes off and um, no look at the emails at all. So quite good at that. And just try to plan nice things and get them in the diary so that so that they happen. Uh, I think if if our if our social life and the time we spent together was just was less was more casually arranged. Let's see how we feel on Friday night. Well, I'll, on Friday night, I'll be sitting working. So um, I need to know that that's going to be a time when we go out. So for, for, for me, for us, uh, it works well to plan things and to know. And then I can. You know, I can plan my week and I can plan what I need to do uh, around other things. And obviously, that's something I want to do is to spend that time 
uh, with my husband, with my family. But it, it is really difficult. It's difficult when work doesn't stop, when work doesn't have boundaries. It's very hard to draw the line because there isn't a natural one. So, so being organised <clears throat> maybe is something that you'd, you'd suggest. Well, just coming towards the end now, um, you're clearly a role model for other people in pathology and all other branches of, of medicine. What advice would you give to those women who are aspiring to be medical leaders? I mean, I always say to people, be yourself. You can't be somebody else. And I suppose, you know, you can you can grow yourself. And I would say, look out for opportunities for leadership courses. I went on the Athena programme course at the King's Fund. And I should probably have mentioned that as one of those big life defining moments, because it was going on that course that helped me reflect on myself. So you do quite a lot of sort of psychometric testing and you understand what drives you um, and how you react under pressure. Uh, it, they recommended that I get a mentor and a coach, which I have done. I've had a mentor throughout and I've had a coach at various points in my career where it's been helpful to do that. I would say, don't be afraid to ask for help. And that's one of the things that I found is, you know, asking a very busy, very important person if they'll be your mentor is quite a scary thing to do. But actually, people are pleased to be asked. They, you know, in the same way that I enjoy helping other people and supporting them, you know, they people like to do that. And so don't be afraid to ask. They can only say no. Um, so I would say don't be afraid to ask for help. Find like minded people that you can compare notes with, have a moan. Uh, you know, having the group of past presidents that we uh, went through that phase of our careers with uh, as has been a, a, an amazing support structure and resource for all sorts of things uh, and has really helped, you know, with my career going forward. Um, I say do something that you love and that you're interested in. I mean, you do have to do some things that you're not so keen on along the way, but do be choosy be picky about what you say yes to as I said the more you do and the more you do it well the more people will ask you to do and you only have a finite amount of time so pick the interesting stuff see what comes up look out for opportunities I would say don't put things off thinking that one day there'll be a perfect time to do it because there rarely is and if the opportunity is there now think about what you can do what you can rearrange how you can organize things so that you can take that opportunity when it arises being yourself, doing the uh, find supportive people to surround yourself with. You know, there'll be enough negative people out there, but, you know, have your team of supportive people. Um, follow your heart. And finally, I'd say probably pace yourself. Actually, careers are really long. When I think of at the beginning and how daunting it seemed developing that first National Pathology Week. Here we are 12 years later and it's gone international and I, you know, I do a few events, but I don't run it at all. It's got legs of its own. Um, Massive changes can happen over a decade and our careers are several decades long. So you don't have to do everything all at once, um, but look out for those opportunities and grab them with both hands when they come along. Susie, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. And thank you for your thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you for listening. There are many more medical women talking in this series of podcasts. Please have a listen to some of the other inspiring women. You'll definitely find something to inspire you.